0: To summarize the problem, desire, for either unpleasant sensations to end or for pleasant sensations to begin, leads to suffering. Desire is a thought formed from the unknown. Thoughts trick the brain into creating pleasant and unpleasant sensations in the body, and pleasant sensations in the body always give way to unpleasant ones. Here's the problem spelled out differently. The entire physical universe is vibration. Attachment to a specific sensational vibration causes suffering, and attachment itself is a thought that's also vibration. Oh, and you have no real clue why you desire it in the first place. Can you see the dilemma, the infinite regress of misery? Everything is made up of vibration, Desiring vibration ultimately spawns misery, and you can't help but desire vibration. This must be some kind of cruel, sick joke. All of these facts are even more disastrous given the world's current technological and political landscapes. Billions of us are scrolling aimlessly. Through our own unique digital reality, only dimly aware that what we're seeing is prescribed to us by an unconscious algorithm that prioritizes our most private wants and deepest fears. This means that in the information age's current form, reality is more or less organized towards your suffering, because almost every piece of content both online or in person, has at least some intention of generating thoughts in your mind. Each thought then sets off a flood of pleasant and unpleasant sensations, with each sensation planting a seed of desire, and each desire eventually blooming into misery. Thought diffuses into suffering, and then suffering crystallizes back into thought. To make matters worse, and the good news is coming soon, I promise, it's a cycle that gets progressively more sinister over time. For how do we tend to respond when a wave inevitably bottoms out? Here are a few we gratify, complain, or fantasize. Here's a hypothetical example that has definitely never happened to me. Let's say that, habitually, and out of nowhere, the vision of having mind-blowing sex arises in the mind. The thought is so powerful, so seemingly realistic, that it actually tricks part of your brain into believing that it's happening. The result of this mental mirage is a concoction of pleasure-inducing chemicals that avalanche down into your genitalia. How incredible. What a time to be alive. This is a vibratory high, your sensational upswing. Now let's say the fantasy lasts a full and epic seven seconds, upon which you sober up to find yourself quietly huddled in fetal position for the sixth hour straight in your meditation cell, alone, on a Friday night. The blip of vibrational pleasure disappears and is replaced by feelings of loneliness and shame. How pathetic. What a sad existence you live. This is a vibratory low, your sensational downswing. What now? Well, typically we, or better yet I, either have sex or masturbate, that is, gratify, whine about how unfair this particular situation is, i.e. complain, or take our minds off of it by thinking about something else pleasurable, fantasize. All three responses do momentarily solve the problem because they all induce an artificial vibrational upswing. However, they're band-aids. In fact, it's worse than band-aids. Gratifying, complaining, and fantasizing only dig us into deeper holes since they all double down on sensation. They solve suffering with more sensation, which can only create more desire, which can only create more suffering. Oh my God, I get it, Ethan. I'm living in purgatory. Just tell me what the solution is already. Here was the Buddha's awesome insight, awareness, observation, witnessing, presence, emptiness, consciousness, mindfulness, knowing, there are many, many words for it. Vibration can't be the only thing in the universe because that which is aware of vibration is not vibrating. That which is aware of suffering does not suffer. That which is aware of yourself is not yourself. I'm overweight. Are you overweight? Or are you aware of being overweight? You can't be both. I own a toothbrush. Do you own a toothbrush? Or are you aware that you own a toothbrush? You can't have both. I'm listening to an essay about suffering. Are you listening to a post about suffering? Or are you aware of listening to an essay about suffering? You can't do both. Confusing? Yes. Paradoxical? Seemingly. Unhelpful? Not in the slightest. This is the answer. This is the way out. Applying this realization is the end of suffering. Okay, so here's the testable hypothesis written out. If you are fully aware of an unpleasant sensation, then it will cease to be a source of suffering because you no longer have preferences for what happens to it. That which is aware of preferences have none. Or if you become totally present with a negative feeling, then it loses its sting. Because craving and aversion disappear. That which is aware of desire doesn't actually desire. And does anything take suffering's place once it officially fades? Lucky for us, yes, yes, it does. Peace percolates from the empty space. The silent kind, the unshakable and immovable kind. A peace so perfect that it freezes the battlefield. This might make some sense. After all, peace and desirelessness are synonymous. If you felt exactly how you wanted to feel, would there be any desire left? If you already had what you were searching for, would there be anywhere to go? If you fundamentally knew that the game had already been won, Would there be any need for worry? Occasionally, though not always, happiness forms from the formlessness, too. Real happiness, like really real happiness, a joy that reflects and delights in itself. A happiness free from contingencies in envy, impatience, and expectation. A happiness so radiant that it penetrates even the most stubborn and hardened shells of pessimism. Love can sometimes share this open space too. And not the type of love that clings, the one that itches for control. And not the do-good love that performs favors while silently hoping that they be reciprocated at some point. The one that subtly plays the long game. And not the surface-level love that praises facial features, fashion sense, or hours invested while somehow avoiding the vulnerable acknowledgement of integrity, authenticity, and care. And definitely not the judgmental love that sees Donald Trump as distinct from Hillary Clinton, as distinct from the begging homeless man, as distinct from Jeff Bezos, as distinct from your mother. We're talking about the first Corinthians. Type of love, patient and kind, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, free from arrogance, resentment, and irritability. It's the type of love that recognizes the intrinsic worthiness and equality of all beings. Indeed, the worthiness of all organic and inorganic structures, period. It's a love that can accept and hold and appreciate the vastness of the moment. Anyways, translating all of this back into the jargon of this essay, the next hypothesis is as follows. The moment suffering falls away through awareness, unconditional peace will bob up to the surface, occasionally followed by feelings of unconditional love and joy. Actually, scratch that. Unconditional peace, joy, and love bobbing up to the surface is an unhelpful metaphor. Imagining peace, joy, and love is a thought that creates desirable sensations, a.k.a. it's conditional, a.k.a. it'll eventually lead to misery. No amount of imagination, clever wordplay, or analogies could possibly describe the honest bliss that's on offer here. Experiencing. Peace, joy, and love via awareness is beyond all words and concepts. It fails intellectual scrutiny. Why? Because it's unconditional. It isn't triggered by anything at all.